The Kansas City Star um, ran an article from the Associated Press um, about a movement um, that's starting across uh, around the world, really. There's a number of these, um, what are being called atheist megachurches. You may have also seen this on the uh, Huffington Post website was circulating a story about this as well. And the Star article begins this way. It says, it looked like a typical Sunday morning at any megachurch. Several hundred people, including families with small children, packed into more uh, for an hour-long service of rousing music and inspirational talk and some quiet reflection. The only thing missing was God. And, and while these Sunday assemblies, that's what they call them, don't believe in God, they do see the value and the power of community. Now, while I certainly don't agree with the uh, theology of this movement, um, nor really with their general assessment of church, that it's just a place to go to make yourself, um, improve yourself or make yourself better, uh, I am all over the idea of, of tea and cake, or at least of, of coffee and donuts, right? And, and I, I'm actually serious, I mean that, because what you see in this video is this value of, of community, their commitment to being together, the longing for meaningful relationship with like-minded people centered around a purpose that is greater than themselves. And, and here's what this video tells me. I mean, it tells us that everyone gets part of the story right. And it doesn't matter what, what you believe or where you are from or who you are, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, that we need one another. But here's the difference. We don't just need community for community's sake. Perhaps there's more at stake. Now, as we continue to move through the Bible, kind of all throughout this year and reading along with Open Here, this effort we're doing to develop this pattern of daily Bible reading, we've seen a lot about what it means to be a Christian. But how do we keep following Jesus when he leads us into areas of life that are difficult how do we keep pursuing them when we end up in places of life where we're, where we're bored, where we're distracted, where we're just too busy for all of it? Well, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, what Claire read for us on page 1007 in the Pew Bibles, the author in these verses gives us the answer. And what we see in this text is that community is not just about people to hang out with, to laugh with, to cry with, as important as those things are. But community is really ultimately a matter of life or death. Because you will not make it on your own as a follower of Jesus. You will not make it on your own, and neither will the people sitting around you. So this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to see four things about community. First, that life makes community necessary. Second, that the church makes it tangible. Third, that we make it difficult. And then lastly, fourthly, that Jesus makes it possible. So four things, that life makes it necessary, the church makes it tangible, we make it difficult, and Jesus makes it possible. So first we see that, that life makes community necessary. And we ask as we look at this passage, why did the author of Hebrews write this letter? And we, we don't know who the author was. This is one of the books in the Bible. We don't know who wrote this book. And we actually don't really know all that much about who it was written to either. But why was the author of this book concerned that the Hebrews congregation wasn't going to make it? I mean, it may have been written to a church in Rome or somewhere else in the Roman Empire. We don't really know. However, what's interesting about this letter is that we don't really, or rather, why was it written? 
what was the reason? For example, most of the New Testament letters that we have, we know why they were written. There's a clear um, purpose in, in mind, that, uh, an occasion that caused the letter to be written. So, for instance, we looked at Galatians a few weeks ago, and it was clear that false teachers had come into um, Galatia and was spreading false teaching. So Paul writes a letter to, to counter that. Or in 2 Corinthians, we looked at that a few weeks ago. It's clear in 2 Corinthians there are some, um, some really public sins as well as some theological errors that are causing chaos in the church at Corinth. And so Paul writes a letter to address those things. But when you look at the book of Hebrews, they're just kind of a normal congregation in a normal situation. But they were slowly becoming apathetic. In fact, in chapter 2, it says they had begun to drift. They began drifting. And when you think about us this morning as a church, things seem pretty normal for us too, don't they? I mean, there's no one really persecuting us, right? I mean, I don't think there's any false teaching going on. At least I I hope not. Um, For the most part, we're unified. I mean, we're comfortable. And it's at those places where we can begin to drift. And drifting is subtle, but it's deadly. So deadly, the author spent the first nine chapters of Hebrews reminding the church what it means to be a Christian. And building to chapter 10, where the author then begins to explain, how do we live this out? How do we stop drifting? And the author gives, uh, gives us three commands for how do you stop drifting. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... And by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Okay, pause right there. All of that is basically a summary of the argument that the author has been making in those first nine chapters. Jesus has done all of this for us. And then he gives us three commands on the basis of that. He says, therefore, first, let us draw near with true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So the first command is draw near. Then command two, let us hold fast our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So second, don't give up. Hold on to what you believe. And then third, and this is the longest of the commandments here, this one that holds it all together. He says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to, good, to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That language of not neglecting meeting together as, a ha- as some are in the habit. That word translated neglect is really almost too soft. The word isn't that they're just being negligent. The word actually carries this idea of, of abandonment. Um, it's used in the Old Testament even, and they've abandoned the covenant, that they've walked away, that they've abandoned those who they've been in relationship with. And this is the habit that some had gotten into. They were slowly drifting out of community, And as they drifted away from the community, they began to drift away from Jesus as well. And I think that when you look at this, you you may say, well, are you making too much of this? But the thing is, is those, those drifters, as they began to drift away from Christ, they actually drifted into a place of death. If you read on in the passage, into verses uh, 26 and following, you see that this is a matter of life and death. That these drifters no longer have any place with God. But this is a common story, isn't it? I mean, as I read a text like this, I, I see the faces of, of friends, old friends, uh, even of family members who have, have drifted away. Even people who used to be a part of Christ's community who have drifted away, who slowly gave up on community. 
And, and as they've drifted from community, they've drifted from Jesus. I'm sure many of you have faces in your minds as well. A Friday night, Rachel and I went and saw the movie uh, Gravity. How many of you have seen this, this movie, Gravity? Um, it's a this movie about these astronauts who are, who are working outside the space shuttle, and they're working to repair uh, the Hubble Space Telescope. And as they're outside, they're tethered to the this, this spacecraft working on it, but there's this debris field from a broken satellite that strikes the shuttle, and there's chaos ensues. And their cords that tie them to this ship are severed, and they begin drifting off into space aimlessly with no connection and no way of getting back. You see, drifting alone is deadly. And in fact, throughout the film, and if you've seen it, you know this, the director does this phenomenal job of making your heart pound any time that they are even just for a moment not connected to something, that that tether is severed, and they start drifting away. You see, without an anchor, without a tether, we're dead. If you want to take Jesus seriously, if you want to hold fast to the end, you have to know that you can't do it alone. You are not going to make it alone, and neither are the people around you. So life makes community necessary, and the church makes it tangible. And I think this is really the author's point, especially in verses 24 and 25, that he's telling the church not to give up on church. Don't give up on one another. Uh, Notice again verse 24 where he says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And this idea of stirring one another up is to motivate one another, to provoke one another, moving each other to action. It's like kind of get the picture of a coach or a trainer motivating, encouraging, pushing us into action. And and we do that meeting together regularly. The author says by encouraging one another and by gathering together regularly, this is how we stir one another up. And the local church, God's people gathered together at a specific place and time, that's us here, is what makes community tangible. It puts it within our reach. And Sunday morning is important for that. But here's the thing. Even if you are here every single Sunday morning, it's still not enough. Even if you're here every Sunday morning, it's still not enough. I mean, look, look around this room. If this worship service, this hour and 15 minutes, this 75 minutes once a week is the sum total of your spiritual community, then you're, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. And neither are the people around you. It's not possible to obey these commands in a a room this size. On an average Sunday morning here at Brookside, we have about 200 people in the building, counting about 150 of us in here, plus another 30 or 40 kids and and child care workers, children's ministry workers downstairs. And when you think about that, how are you going to know them well enough to actually stir them up toward love and good deeds? And who's going to stir you up? I mean, the thing you can't, in, in a congregation our size, we're still small enough that maybe you can know everyone's name on a Sunday morning. You, you might, it's getting tougher, isn't it? Uh, you might be able to know everyone's name, but there's no way you can know everyone's story. There's no way you can really know 150, 200 people. There are about 40 commandments in the Bible to love one another, or, or to just these one another commandments, I should say. I mean, to love one another, pray for one another, uh, accept one another, serve one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another. They're all over the Bible. 
But we can't do these one another's unless we're actually in relationship with one another. And we aren't going to, to be able to do that in a room this size. We aren't going to be able to make it on our own. We just aren't. And, and here's the thing. This hour and 15 minutes is just isn't enough to do those one another's. It has to happen some way in, in smaller groups. And it happens in what we at Christ Community call community groups. And, and it's our desire that every person at Christ Community would be in a community group, no matter, no matter who you are, to be in a community group. And, it, and it's not because we think, you know, community groups are our program, we think it's a great thing. It, it's not because that we've come up with some great ideas, and man, you've got to get in our groups. And, and it's certainly not because you just have a lot of time on your hands and we just want to fill up your schedule with something else. No, we believe that, that because this only the way that we can obey these commandments, the only way we can be in relationship with one another is in smaller groups, that, we, that the Bible calls us to be in these kind of relationships with one another. Even the Church of Hebrews would have been a collection of churches meeting in homes, these like kind of house churches. You see, spiritual community, it's the primary catalyst for spiritual growth. And, and if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to really know Jesus, if you want to experience joy, if you want to hold fast, and if you want the people around you to do the same, you have to be in a smaller group of people. You have to. And and about half of you in this room, or maybe a third, are already in groups. I I know many of you are in community groups, and, and you've experienced the goodness of being in these smaller groups, the delight that it can be. But now, because we believe this is so essential, we're going to be making some changes, some significant changes. Beginning in January, we are launching a whole new endeavor, and we want everyone to be a part of it. We're going to structure our community groups around three eight-week sessions, three trimesters throughout the year. And we're asking groups to meet every week during those sessions. But actually, if you do the math, it's only 24 times a year, but eight weeks of intense community followed by several weeks of rest before jumping in again. We just don't think that every other week or once a month is enough to really build the kind of community, to build the kind of relationships that we're desperate for, that we need even more intention than that. There's there's just too much at stake. And after each eight-week session, this is key, after each eight-week session, you'll have a choice, two choices. One is, I love this group. I'm going to stay in it for the next, uh, the next eight-week session that comes up. Or you can say, I think my group is kind of a bunch of weirdos, and I'm going to find a different group, right? Because we all, if you've ever been in a group like this, there's always that moment, right, where it's like, man, this group just isn't fitting anymore, and then you have to have that awkward, like, breakup with you. It's not you. It's me. It's a, it's a, we're going to actually provide on-ramps three times a year as well as off-ramps. If this group isn't a fit for you, find a different group, and there's going to be a natural place to do that. And so all we're asking you to do right now, though, is just to try it for eight weeks. It's going to start on January 19th through March 9th. Eight weeks. Just give it a shot. (laughs) And and if you want to jump back in April, that's great. And again in September, even better. Um, That's how the calendar will look. We'll have on-ramps in January and then kind of in April and then September. Um, But if not, that's great too. Just try it for eight weeks. And we really are hoping this is going to be kind of like the Netflix free trial or the Amazon Prime thing. Where you get in there and you're like, it's just eight weeks. And hopefully you'll love it. We've even developed our own study material to help us in this. And this first study in January will go through five of the things that we think are most important for every Christian and for those who are exploring the Christian faith to think about. 
And we want to focus um, and, and encourage our groups to be family-friendly as well. And that's going to look different for each group, but we want our groups to be a place where families um, are welcome. So life makes community necessary. The church makes it tangible. And this is how we're trying to live it out here at Christ Community. Now, I'm sure some of you already have some pushback in your mind. And that there are objections that are, are coming up um, and that's because we make it difficult. We love the idea of community, but you and I, we make it difficult. We make community hard. And so I just wanted to walk through. Here are five objections that I think every one of us, myself included, uh, can relate to as we think about why is community hard. Objection number one, I'm just not Christian enough. I'm not Christian enough for this, right? Th- these groups, they sound like something for people who really have it together, uh, who are really following Jesus. And I, I'm not even sure if I am a Christian yet. I'm, I, I certainly don't have this figured out, and I just don't feel like Christian enough. I don't, I don't know the Bible that well. If I, if I showed up in a group like this, I'd just really feel out of place. I'd feel lost. Well, if you're not a Christian, but you're curious, or if you feel brand new to all of this, these groups are actually the perfect place for you. They're the perfect place for you because there's no better place for you to ask questions, even hard questions, and to explore how to live this life than in community. It's exactly the place for you. You see, no one really comes to know and follow Jesus. It's very, very rare without a group of friends around them. You even see this in the the Bible in John chapter 1. All these people, Jesus, they encounter him, and then they say, oh, come, come and see. They have a friend who brings them along to Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you've got to get out with some friends who know him. Get with some people who know him. And you may think, yeah, but Christians are weird. <laughs> and some of you are probably sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, Christians are weird. I, I'm here because my, my wife brought me, and but this is kind of weird. And I will say, Christians are weird, okay? Uh, I'm not going to deny that. Christians are weird. But maybe not as weird as you think. And, and if you um, get to know us, we probably still are kind of weird. But when you get us outside of the pews and you get us into a living room and we're sitting around talking together, I think you'd be surprised at how relatable, what, how normal some of these people really are. So give it a shot for eight weeks. I think you'd be surprised. So that's objection one. Objection two, but you know what? I, I'm really just doing fine on my own. I mean, I've been a Christian for years. I've done all the Bible studies, the ABF, the BSF, the Navigate. I mean, I've done all the studies. I I don't really need this. And and then I would just say, well, actually, I mean, apparently you do, because um, apparently if if you would have read through this book, if you'd done all those studies, you would see this book says that community is essential. It's just absolutely essential. Or maybe you're like, I'm fine. I just, you know, I love the Bible. It's great. I love church. But I just don't, I just don't need people. I don't need other people. They just make life complicated. But look, everyone needs friends. You might pretend that you don't need anybody, but deep down you're just as hungry for good friends as anyone else. And look, these groups, I mean, maybe you're the kind of person like, these groups are not like we're going to sit around and hold hands and, and talk about our feelings for, you know, two hours. That's not, these groups are about life. They're about real life, both good and bad. Which actually brings us to a key question when we think about the bad of life. 
if you're not in this kind of community, who's going to be there when the bad news comes? I mean, who's going to carry the burdens with you then? I mean, how do you expect to overcome sin all by yourself? With, with no one praying for you, with no one to confess to, to encourage you, with no one to love you even when you fail. And here's the thing, even if for the sake of argument you say, you know what, I, I really could just be on my own. I don't need other people. But, but that, the thing is, is that when you look at this text carefully, did, did you notice what it said? Did you notice the commands here? It's not find a place where people can encourage you. It's actually not about you. It says the command is encourage others. Even if you don't need other people, which you do, but even if that's what you think, other people need you. The command is encourage one another. Not find a place where you can be encouraged, but encourage one another. The people around you need you. Do you see them? In a room this size, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of heartache. And we need one another. The people in this room need you. Even if you don't think you need them. They need you. Which actually leads then to objection number three. Um, Life is, and especially people, are just too messy. (laughs) And and yes, they are, and yes, it is. Um, And you might say, well, what if I get hurt? And you know what? If you get into real community with people, you're going to get hurt. It's just, it's true. If you get into a place where you're really vulnerable with people, where you really know other people, yeah, it's going to hurt. And the thing is, is because, the reason is because they're just as messed up as you are. That's just the reality of it. But how else are we really going to learn patience and forgiveness? We looked at the fruit of the Spirit last week. All of those things of love and joy, patience, patience kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of those things take place in communion. That's where we learn them. You may wonder, well, what if something shares something really difficult in the group? Well, that's going to happen. <laughs> There's a lot of junk in our lives. But how else are you going to help these people walk with Jesus, even in the places of difficulty, if you're not there to encourage them? This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. But I do promise you this. It is going to be better. It will be better. Because it's better to be in relationship with people in the mess than to have no mess and just be totally isolated. It really is. It, it may not seem like that. You may have to trust me. You may have to trust me and just try it. But it really is better. Okay, objection number four. Bill, I, I get it. I, community, it's important. Uh, we need it. I, I'm in. But community should be organic, right? Like, you can't force friendships. And, and believe me, absolutely I agree. Even the best pastor in the world can't manufacture these kinds of friendships, these relationships. Um, But listen, the opposite of organic isn't intentionality. The opposite of organic is artificial. And the last thing we want is fake, right? But the opposite of organic isn't intentionality. The opposite of organic is artificial. Any farmer, any organic farmer, if you go to a, a truly organic farm, there's tons of intentionality, right? There's planting, there's care, there's cultivation, tilling, watering, sunlight. It doesn't just happen. And you're waiting for community just to happen. If that's what you mean by organic, it's not going to work. 
We don't want fake relationships, but we do want intentional relationships. And sometimes those even require a little structure. Maybe an eight-week structure, three times a year. And just see if some organic, some living, some real things begin to take root in those eight weeks. Finally, objection number five, I'm too busy. And, and you are. We all are. Of course we're too busy. And that's why I almost don't even, I almost didn't want to bring this one up. I almost didn't want to address it. Um, because, and, and here's why. Because when we talk, we talk about making margin for community, right? Like I need to make margin in my schedule for community or for, or for spiritual growth or for, for these kinds of things. But here's the deal. You can't make margin for community. You can't afford to make margin for community. Community actually has to be central. It it can't be on the margin. It's like your house payment, right? I mean, you don't make margin in your budget for your house payment or for your rent, right? You you don't do that. No, you you build the rest of your budget around that essential expense, right? I mean, I make margin in my budget to go and buy coffee at the roastery. I don't make margin for that check to Wells Fargo every month. No, that comes center, And then I build everything else around that. We are all busy. But Jesus will not be your hobby. He will not be something that stays in the margins. Margin is for everything else. Because we will not make it alone. Now this morning we could keep raising and addressing objections all morning long. But I think the most compelling case I could give you for community isn't an answer to an objection, but a story. And I'm going to invite Mickey York to come and join me. Uh, Many of you uh, know the Yorks, and you know uh, Mickey and Steph. And as Mickey comes, I just want to say they have faced an incredibly tough year of hardship. First, uh, Mickey underwent knee surgery um, that put him out of work for an extended period of time. I'm going to grab this mic. Just come on up with me, Mickey. Yeah. Um... And then, and then just as Mickey was getting back on his feet, uh, literally, um, his wife, Steph, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And just toward the end of her successful treatment of breast cancer, Mickey's lungs collapsed and he was again in the hospital for an extended period of time, uh, enduring painful procedures to repair the damage to his lung. And in the middle of this, if that wasn't enough, they faced unexpected home repairs and car repairs. It's just been a rough season. And Mickey, I just would love this morning for you just to tell us a little bit about your community group um, and just the role that your community group and your church families played with you guys in this just really rough year. Well, you know, uh, to start with, when we found Christ Community, we were kind of church searching, and uh, I worked a lot of weekends, and my wife came in one Sunday and found this place and was very excited about it, uh, and came in with my son, as a matter of fact, I wish I could get up here and rap like my son does. I don't know if you've ever seen my son up here rapping, but I can't do that. Won't even try. But anyway, we found Christ Community, and through that, found uh, just a home full of uh, people who really blessed us, who stood beside us. Uh, We got into a new community group with uh, about six or eight people, and through that, have, uh, man, we've just soared. I mean, they've stood by us through every single one of these uh, setbacks through our downfalls. Um, it's been just truly amazing. Um, you know, when Bill says try the eight-week thing, I really encourage everybody to do that because 
we couldn't we couldn't make this if we didn't have these people or didn't have you folks. So, you know, it's just uh, that's how I I feel about it. You know, it's we went through a part where we'd say, you know, why not us? You know, if we can make this story about us and we can bring somebody to Christ and make them believe, then it was always, you know, why not us? But then, you know, after maybe the fourth or fifth setback, <laughs> you know, it started to be why us, you know? We're, we're done with it, and we want to be done with it. So, God, you know, don't give it to somebody else. Just throw it out in the atmosphere because nobody else deserves this either. Um, but through that, you know, once again, our, our group stepped up for us, and the church stepped up for us. And uh, it seems to me like the closer you get to God, the more the devil's going to throw in your way and just pound you, pound you, pound you back. Just, you know, just keep your head up. And, you know, it is God, but to us, it really is Christ's community. So, thanks, Vicki. Thanks so much, Mickey. I and mean, we, we can't do it alone. We will not make it on our own. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't take uh, my word for it. Don't take Mickey's words for it. We really do want you to try it, at least for those eight weeks. And uh, I actually have a chance for you to kind of work with that even now. And so on, uh, in the uh, edge of the pews, I think in these center ones, there's little, some little cards. If you would grab those, in the next few minutes, this is what I want us to do. If you would take those cards, just pass them down the aisle. And, and I think... You know, we know like people like to sit to the back, so we tried to push more in the back, not as many up front. So if you don't have them in your aisle, uh, Claire will have a few. Grab one of those cards. And here's what I want you to do um, with, those, with those cards. I want you to pray about some next steps. Whether you're a guest or you've been here forever, whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here with us since the day the doors opened here, what's the next thing that God wants you to do? Um, for some of you, it will be signing up to fill out the card and, and pass those down to the end of the aisle. Leave it in the stack at the end of the pew there. We'll have someone collect them at the end. Just say, I want to help me find a community group. Bill, I'm interested in this. I want to do this. I want to be in a group in January. When you do that, when you fill out this card, um, we will get in touch with you and give you the ways to join the groups when those become available. Maybe if you're already in a group, I would actually still, if you're in a community group, would love for you still to fill this out. Actually, what I'd love for you to do is just write on the back what have been the blessings that your community group has brought you? Just one or two things. What's been great about your community group? So just put your name on there if you're in a group and just tell us something that you've loved about being in a group. And maybe for some of you, you just aren't ready yet. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But I would encourage you just to take this card home with you. Bring it, put it in your pocket, stick it on your mirror, whatever, and just use it as a reminder to pray, how would God be calling me into a community? How would he be inviting me into a smaller group of people? What might that look like for me? What is God asking you to do? So life makes it necessary. Um, we as the church community make it tangible. We make it difficult. But the good news is that Jesus makes this possible. And this is really the whole point of verses 19 through 23 uh, in uh, this passage that we've looked at. Jesus is the only one who can make this community possible. When, he, when the writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since Jesus has done all of this, then we can have truly meaningful community with, with no more shame because there's forgiveness. And this is what makes true community possible. 
how does the gospel make true community possible? Well, basically, the gospel tells us two things. First, it tells us that we are so messed up, that we are so broken, that we're so sinful, that the God of the universe had to become a man and die on a cross just in order to save me. That, that's how bad off I am. That's how bad off you are. And so if that's true, then, then there's no room for arrogance. There's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for unforgiveness. Because just look at how broken every one of us is. But at the same time, the gospel also tells me that God was glad to do it, that Jesus loved me so much that he was delighted to do it, that, that he was willing, and that now because of what he's done on the cross, I am accepted as a son or a daughter. And then he says, I am well pleased with you. Not because of anything that you've done or not done, but because of who you are in Christ. And so at the, with that truth, there's no room for insecurity. I can be open. I can be authentic. And, and I can love others. I have to love others because that's how, but Jesus loves them that way. You see, Jesus makes that kind of community possible. And this is actually why when we celebrate community here, or communion here at Brookside, we don't come as individuals, we come as groups. And maybe some of you wondered, why do you say come in groups of four or five? Because we believe that, that God doesn't just, in the gospel, rescue me, but that God is rescuing us, and that he's calling us into a new community that's centered around the life and the death of resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we come in groups, because we always come together. This is what we depict every time we come to the Lord's table.